Good afternoon and welcome to this edition of the 21 News Podcast. I'm Managing Editor Justin Mitchell. Campaign season unofficially got underway in the Valley this week with a visit from the Vice President. Now this comes as Ohio moves more solidly into the middle, setting the stage for a battle in November. With me to discuss is Politico's national political correspondent, David Siders. David, thank you for joining me. Hey, good to be here. So I guess let's just start with Ohio. What, what is the state of play in Ohio right now? More competitive than than anybody would have thought three months ago. Um, that's for sure. I think you definitely saw that with Pence visiting, uh, but before that, with the Trump campaign airing, you know, spending money to air TV ads, not only in Ohio but Iowa, and, you know, right there too. Uh, so I, I think the state of play is very close and suggests all sorts of problems for the president. Now, now it's a long way to election day, and we know, you know, a week is a lifetime in politics. And I think the old saying, if that's the old saying, it's almost like an afternoon is a lifetime these days. So what is the likelihood that momentum stays this way, or is it going to shift back and forth between now and then? And, and who do you see having the long-term advantage? Yeah, I mean, I'd be surprised if there aren't peaks and valleys and in a campaign with what's still four months, uh, as you say. Uh, that being said, I, I mean, polls aren't intended to be predictive. So when you see Trump and Biden very close in a state, it's not saying that, that he will win, but, but that right now um, he's ahead and it's a problem for the president. So I do, th- I do think there are some you know, long-term reasons for hope, I guess, if you're a Republican. And then uh, on the other hand, uh, reasons to think that Trump's in lasting trouble if, if you're a Democrat. The the reason for hope, you know, Republicans, I think, say polls did not predict the outcome in 2016, which is you know, marginally a, an acceptable argument. Uh, it, it's true that, that the polls did not predict victories in you know, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Michigan, the important battleground states. On the other hand, Polls in 2016 had the national mood pretty well spot on. And so I think it's fair to say that when you see the the barrage of polling that we're seeing right now, um, that empirically Trump is in in trouble. Uh, The other thing that could change is you could have an economic rebound. And that's a big deal. So I think you you hear a lot of Republicans put stock in the idea that the economy bounces back in October um, and maybe the civil unrest surrounding George Floyd's killing uh, subsides by then. And it's a new ballgame. And and Trump does have some advantages. He has a ton of money. He'll be able to be advertising in a lot of different places. And their campaign has, I think it's fair to say, is a sophisticated voter mobilization and turnout operation that, that could be meaningful in November. Now, you mentioned the polls. It's actually funny. A big part of, a big part of that answer was almost exactly how my next question was written, because I was going to say, people will argue that, they, that the polls show Biden leading, but that the polls were wrong in 2016, but that they weren't really, because Clinton was projected to win by the same, about the same amount she took the popular vote. Is there a difference in the map, though, or are we looking at the same scenario? If you look at state-by-state polls, do they look like they looked in 2016? Oh yeah, or or worse for Trump uh, than they did then, you know. I and I think there's a lot of scrutiny now being paid attention to, like 
the Marquette poll in Wisconsin or the you know, name, name your poll in each of these states, these pollsters have, I think, learned some lessons from 2016 and are, are trying to account for what were deficiencies in, in polling then. It, even then, if you just take the, the body of work, which is probably the safest way to look at polling, uh, Trump's, Trump's in a decline right now um, and, and I, I think is just objectively flailing in a lot of these states. If, if Ohio and Iowa are close, um, I mean, that, that suggests to me that the national landscape we're seeing is, is a heck of a lot rougher. Well, even states like Texas are close right now, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, my gosh. I mean, so the math is entirely, it's wide open. And this is one of the problems for, for Trump is that, you know, you started the, the cycle with the idea that, yeah, there'd be competition in the Rust Belt. You'd have Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan would be fiercely competitive. And then you had a few states where Trump thought that maybe he could grow his map, uh, thinking about Nevada, maybe where he was close in 2016, Minnesota, where he came very close. And then a few states where Democrats thought they could expand their map, uh, Georgia. Uh, but all of a sudden, in the last few weeks, it's like all of these states are now potentially in play. Uh, and, and the big one, and maybe underrated because it's always been considered something of a swing state, I think is Florida. And you know, Florida, regardless of this, its historic kind of view as being swingy, many Democrats were bearish on Florida. Um, just because the trends there, Democrats hadn't been winning elections. and And I think that when coronavirus came and there was so much attention on Florida initially and the governor there and his close association with Trump, polls started to move. You saw Democrats start spending in that state and that state now truly looks competitive again. Now, how do you see the conventions playing out? They're obviously going to be starkly different. You've got the GOP aiming for a traditional grand spectacle. The Democrats announcing this week, they're going to go largely virtual. What's that going to mean for that traditional post-convention bump? You think that hurts Biden? It's hard for me to say. I I don't know. Um, I know that a lot of delegates were not looking forward to going to uh, Milwaukee, given the pandemic. I do think that it will reduce coverage. I think it it can't help but not. On the other hand, it does allow for a a more controlled message if you're if you're the DNC and doing everything on, on video, um, you know, conventions can get out of hand sometimes. And, and in, I'm not saying in a negative way, but they're not necessarily, they, they don't necessarily run according to the producer's plans. So I think about Philadelphia and how much attention was paid to Bernie Sanders supporters there and the protests all over that city uh, and around the convention hall. Or even think back to some of the state conventions. You know, Nevada just had its state convention online, which looked lots different than four years ago when people were throwing chairs uh, <laughs> in speakers. So it does, it does allow for more message control. And it does seem that Biden, you know, this, this bunker strategy he has right now, is, um, does not seem to be failing him. Well, and I seem to recall, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you, you'll remember this, but Trump slid a little bit in the polls after his convention in 16, didn't he? <laughs> Geez, I don't recall that. I, I feel like there was a little dip where it was, because you remember that stretch where it appeared like he was in real serious trouble. And I maybe I'm wrong, so, I mean, I, I could be wrong, but I swear I remember there being a, a, even a slight dip or not much of a bump. 
So I guess... No, I'm inclined to trust you. The convention was in your state, for goodness sake. <laughs> oh, we were all over it. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, what about the debates? You hear a lot of the president's supporters try and paint Biden. I mean, they're running ads now, basically painting him as practically incoherent. Certainly, the president has had his share of difficult moments answering questions or speaking off the cuff also. So head-to-head, what do you think? Who's the underdog and who comes out with the momentum? Well, it's interesting. Usually you would have a challenger being the one who had all the imperative in the debate, right? So, you know, you would always, as the challenger, want more debates. You would want more opportunities to try to trip up the the incumbent. And by Trump's appeals for extra debates this year, I think another indication that that he's he's needing something to change. I do think it's an opportunity for that. Uh, We have seen Biden stumble in some public settings, and Trump can get under people's skin. So I do think that there is an opportunity for Trump in those debates. Um, on the other hand, Biden went through you know, a ton of debates in the Democratic primary and, and ended up prevailing. And the entire narrative throughout the arc of the primary was just wait for Biden to implode. And that was the rationale for many lesser known contenders getting in in the same moderate way and thinking, you know, Biden eventually goes down, somebody will fill that role. And he never did. Um, so I think it's fair to point out that he has withstood some debates with people who had reasons to try to get under his skin and and has that experience. Does being the guy in the moderate lane help or hurt him? Uh, I mean, there's obviously a fracture in the Democratic Party and uh, I, I don't. Do you think the Sanders people and the liberal wing of the party still turn out? Are they more motivated by wanting Trump out than they are their open disdain for Joe Biden? Uh, my sense of it, and I, I think the polls suggest that the fracture is less severe than it was with Hillary Clinton, and part of it has to do with Biden's, you know, with, with just the moderate left flank dynamics, but it also has to do with. Biden generally being more palatable to not just Democrats, but any voter than Hillary Clinton was for a lot of different reasons. Um, I think sexism among them, uh, Hillary Clinton was was not viewed uh, as favorably as Biden is. And that's one of the reasons you see, you know, one, one of the big shifts in the polls this year is that in 2016, Trump beat Hillary Clinton with these kind of important voters, the swing block of voters known as as double haters, I guess you could say, the, the people who dislike both candidates. Sure. And the numbers have entirely flipped this year, so that the people who dislike are just done with it and dislike them all. Um, those people are going to Biden this time. Oh, that that's a real interesting stat, because I do remember that, that it was the unlikability was really high for both candidates in 2016, and you were choosing who you saw as the least worst of for, for a lot of those voters. Um, so you're saying that momentum favored Trump last time, and right now looks like it favors Biden. That's true. And and to your point about enthusiasm, it's still there. I mean, there there is a Biden still has room to grow with uh, young people, especially um, particularly young people of color. Uh, there's also we're still early enough that that Biden is not entirely well defined to the electorate. I mean, you and I know who Joe Biden is, and, and probably your listeners do too. But the the electorate may not know a heck of a lot more than Joe Biden was 
Obama's vice president. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of room to still define who he is. Now, you mentioned the younger voters. You know, I was one of these people who, a couple months back, I really believed that the momentum was with the Democrats, but that it was with them because there was such a movement behind the Sanders candidacy. That fizzled, though, on Election Day. The primaries came, and they did not turn out anywhere near the numbers they were actually showing out, showing up to campaign. So are they as big of a factor in the election, or are they still just an unreliable voting bloc that is not going to tip anything? Well, I think they're, they're less reliable than you know, older, long-time voters. But on the other hand, they're, they're the growing demographic in the party. So I think that I do think they're an important force and one you've already seen Biden you know, paying attention to, adopting some more progressive policies, moving to the left in some ways. Um, I, I think that that's you know, the Biden has been very sensitive to that because it was a problem for Hillary Clinton and they don't want to repeat it again. So back to Ohio and, and more specifically my my neck of the woods here in the Mahoning Valley. We had this visit from Mike Pence this week. Now, just this is real anecdotal, but I saw a very small handful of protesters show up to voice displeasure, and I saw people kind of line the streets in support of Mike Pence. This was an area that flipped from solid blue to red in many places last time around. Does that still hold? And if so, why? Well, I mean, in in the specific sense, I think that among Biden or among Trump's core supporters, that that level of support is still very fervent and exists because of this notion that polls are wrong and that the economy may recover. And so I don't think that he's losing his base. I, I think that what the broader polling suggests in a place like Ohio is that Trump's having a problem you know, moving, I guess, growing that base enough to to carry the state. And it, this probably all comes down to how big Trump can grow the you know, his key demographic, which is white, non-college educated voters, and predominantly men. And there are a ton of white, non-college educated voters who did not cast ballots in 2016. And if you talk to Democrats about the things they fear, in places like Ohio and Wisconsin and Minnesota, is they fear that Trump can find those people, register them to vote, and have enough of that base to tip the election. So that's that's the fear that Democrats have. The polling suggests that they're not there yet. We're anywhere close to it. Now, his base alone, because he really plays to the base, and I've, I've referred to it for years as sort of the hard 40. There's 40% that... There is absolutely nothing Donald Trump could do that they are not a fervent supporter for. That's not enough to win. Is What would it take for him? To, how much of a percentage would he need to get above that sort of hard 40 to carry this off? Let's see. So uh, I spoke with the, the chairman of the Minnesota Democratic Party recently who has some – who puts this in, in plain numbers terms. So – he calculates or the party calculates that there are about 200,000 um, eligible white non-college educated men, just men alone in Minnesota who could vote, but didn't vote in 2016. And if you look at the total margin, but in, in 2016, 
Hillary Clinton beat Donald Trump in that state by it was fewer than 50,000 votes anyway. So what would Trump need to do, you know, find a fifth of that, that target to push the number high enough? I mean, it, in the swing states anyway, this does come right at the margins, right? And so that's why I think there is some fear that for Democrats that, that Trump could, could move those numbers. Now, that being said, like the overall, like this, that, that's one way it could go. Trump could win the presidency again without the popular vote and you know, win the states he won very narrowly last time and be in the White House. I think that's an entirely possible scenario, but it's also possible that this is just a landslide for Biden. So look into the crystal ball for me a little bit, and let's be real optimistic. Let's say it's November 2nd, the coronavirus is under control, the economy is recovering, and we've made some progress on race relations. Who wins that election? Boy, that's so interesting. You know, that, that's a great idea. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, a great idea to write about or talk about. I, I, have, uh, I have no idea how that, how that plays out. What do you think? You know, I really don't know. I, I, I thought that this was probably Trump's election to lose because he held that base so firm. And I thought Biden, but this is, again, based upon the, the thinking that the Sanders wing was going to control the Democratic Party. I thought that when Sanders didn't get the nomination, that Biden was going to be a weaker candidate to go up against Trump. And Trump wasn't going to have to do much to hold his support and probably, probably win an electoral college victory. I'm not sure now if there are sort of scars on the legacy that will carry even if they're fixed. That's what I'm not sure about. That's interesting. I mean, it's possible that there's just so many who have moved away already. And because Biden is less objectionable uh, than Clinton was, that you would expect a, a different result. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm just curious. So anything else you want to add about sort of just the state of anything, Ohio, the, the national race, what we should be looking for next? Oh, well, I mean, I think I'd be watching closely what happens with the next stimulus, um, whether you know, Trump can kind of shed this you know, really just a spiral for the past few weeks. Uh, so is there something that he can do to change that dynamic? Uh, I think a lot of people thought that might have come in Tulsa, and it just didn't happen. So, so we'll see. I mean, that's what I'd be looking for. And then, of course, Biden gets to... Um, have his rejoinder, I suppose, in what, end of July, early August, when he announces a vice presidential pick. So that's that's obviously very important too. Yeah, how important will that be? I'm glad you brought that up because I probably should have had it had it written here. Uh, what should Biden do in terms of a VP pick, and uh, and how important is it going to be? It's not Gosh, always that know. important, right? <laughs> no, it's not always that important. Sometimes you're just picking somebody who. You know, doesn't mess up, right, or, or fills the role. But I think, I think this time it is important. At least inside Biden's campaign, initially the calculation was, do we need to pick somebody to, you know, like we were talking about the Bernie supporters earlier, to to energize the left? Uh, is it important to pick somebody who can help with fundraising? Now it appears like Biden's doing pretty well on the fundraising, uh, and then with the Floyd protests erupting, I think it's really changed the. The calculation. So, there are African American women now who are are really getting a close look. Uh, Kamala Harris, Val Demings. I, th or, I think you know what ultimately go... comes. This comes down to though, and I just like 
we, we write so much and talk so much about the vice presidential choice, but really this is going to be Biden's. He'll talk to three, four people, and it'll be his gut. Right, right. I mean, is it his best bet? Because I would have thought that balancing ideologically the ticket might have been the most important thing for Biden. He needed somebody from the left to sort of placate that that wing. Now, I'm still not sure, and this is just, you know, kind of me sitting here pontificating, but I'm still not sure he doesn't need to try and do that. Kamala Harris doesn't necessarily deliver on that, so does he need to look at somebody more like Stacey Abrams that... You know, then he's getting into the the Floyd protesting, uh, and 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 he's picking a woman. It, it seems like she really, she really fills a, a lot of roles for him there. Yeah, I I think it's she's definitely on the list and being considered. I guess if if he were going to be, if he were going to pick a progressive, I think the likeliest one would be Elizabeth Warren. Uh, it's a candidate that when he was thinking about running and didn't run in 2016. Uh, he talked about wanting her as a running mate. He you know, expressed support for her for Hillary Clinton, thought she would be helpful on that ticket. So I see a lot of history there that would make make that kind of alliance make sense. Um, so I guess if, if he was going to pick a progressive, uh, that one would not surprise me. All right. Well, David, I thank you very much for your time, and I uh, expect we'll talk to you a lot between now and November. Hey, I'd like that. Nice talking to you. You too. Thank you very much.